Thank you for joining us for another episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRARLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Welcome to this week's edition of Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. We are all here in the station. This is Jesse and Francesca and Melissa. We are super stoked to talk to you guys on what, uh, by the time that you guys hear this, I guess it would be the 20th day of Black History Month. Yes. Uh, So we're almost through it and we felt like it was an appropriate time. We've had some uh, interviews here recently, Mm -hmm. so we haven't really uh, been talking too much about this on the show, but we wanted to take time to actually do a show about the current uh, state of Virginia state level politics. Since y'all tried to drop this on us here black people on the first day of Black History Month, ruining my damn month. We only get a month and y'all want to ruin it with this And not even a full month, really. It's a short month. I mean, come on. It's a short ass month. Hashtag Black History Month. Since y'all trying to steal it, we just gonna, that's what we gonna do. When I say slavery, you say sorry. Slavery. Sorry. Thanks, guys. Happy Black History Month. And so since everything's unfolded, um, hashtag in case you missed it, uh, <laughs> we have been, we being our Dirt Us 3, have taken kind of a different role, I think we could say. Up tired front. as hell. Um, we're super tired. <laughs> we definitely took a little bit more of an activist role. We definitely role. swerved out of our lane. Yeah, that was a severe swerve. Stay in your lane. You are a hater. With all due respect. But, you know, it was something that we kind of felt was important. Typically in our space, we operate within city level politics. Sometimes we reach up and I might opine on like a Bernie Sanders candidacy every so often. Hashtag hot takes. You know, and we pay a little bit of attention to the GA, that sort of thing. Typically, we keep pretty close with city council. Obviously, things evolve and sometimes things do hit us as constituents and we have to react. But then also not just as constituents, but also as people that are very anti-racist hmm. um huh yeah imagine that right and for me at least this is this is a piece of the local connection where you know we are sitting here in richmond the capital of the former confederacy the mm-hmm. capital of the state where we have the general assembly who's currently in session and we have the, the governor's mansion and this is something that we do as far as being part of a community of stepping up and fighting racism of all forms uh-huh. and when you're sitting there on your way to wrir's birthday party and you're about to get in the car and head out and you see a picture of um, allegedly who is your governor in either blackface or a KKK costume, Mm -hmm. that's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. And it's really hard to uh, concentrate on your MC gig when you're running back and Uh -uh. forth. Why are you being all nice? (laughs) Bleep this out. It's f***ed up. Yeah, Yeah, it's real f***ed up. That Friday was... I mean, I wouldn't call it a nightmare, but it was it was it something. was bad. It was something bad. So <laughs> jumping into that, let's give a quick little backstory about like it, it hashtags in, in case you somehow missed this <laughs> of what happened on February first, mm-hmm. first day of Black History Month. A photo came out of uh, from nineteen eighty four Ralph Northam's Governor Ralph Northam's medical school yearbook and senior year. Senior year. And it was a photo of uh, somebody in blackface and somebody standing next to them in a clan photo. Mm-hmm. Smiling. A- smiling. And but as people started to react to that, there were many calls. Ralph's name. A giant. Yeah. Like there it. was a quote. There was like, yeah. It was, this is his senior tribute page in the, a, in the of yearbook. Photos that he would have submitted. Mm-hmm. to the yearbook. Mm-hmm. Great point. Right. So from that point, people started calling for resignations. I did, for sure. Mm-hmm. We all did. And But then you start getting the elected officials start calling for resignations. Mm-hmm. And you start getting these statements. People start making statements. Well, and then you get apologists, too, saying, oh, he was just a kid. And then you've got people like us going, yeah, but 25 is an adult. Yeah. 
Tamir Rice was a grown ass man. So I need these white men to be grown ass men at 25. Right. If black men can be grown at 12. Then that was the point. Um, If you haven't heard this story yet, Fran turned to me at the WRR (laughs) birthday party and said so. Wait, wait. But we're running back and forth to the bathroom. Yeah. Listening to the video. Yeah. Listening to the response. Just like. Like really, Melissa was emceeing. Fran and I were just like in the back. (laughs) uh, Listen, it was a a Fran and Jesse. What the (laughs) hell is happening right now on Twitter? We just exploded, imploded. And me running around in my tutu going, fill me in, fill me in. Yes. I need to know Tell me baby girl Cause I need to know So um, that's when Fran turned to me and said I'm free before noon tomorrow What are we doing? Mm -hmm. And it really organically We we sent some text messages out Put a tweet out to get a feel for like Is somebody already organizing? From what we could see Nobody had made People wanted to But there was no official We're doing this here So we got a little bit of a temperature check And we just put it out We're going out there to protest this We'll see you tomorrow Um, (laughs) Right And then people ended up showing up there and like well some local uh mainstream media caught wind of it and promoted it all over i was gonna say i think it was posted and in like two minutes a local mainstream media like retweeted it and they made a whole post about it story yeah then they wrote like a little story about it and then all of a sudden cnn shows up the next which p.s without ever actually talking to us um that they actually posted it but regardless so then we ended up showing up the next morning and to all of the national media Mm -hmm. and there was a number of people that came out and i want to also just recognize the fact that this while we called for this protest after we left the birthday party that night the amount of community support from different people and organizations chelsea with raise capital and was coordinating with rebecca with justice rva Mm -hmm. to be able to get speakers and finding out who wants to talk and Mm -hmm. and who's going to be doing what at this event and again remember this is us leaving there at like 11 i think we left at midnight yeah um i actually had someone come over to my house at 1 30 and hand me a megaphone so i really want to say like for as much as we called for this there were so many people that helped with this it was we had lawyers is also reaching out. I, I kind of panicked a little bit because we did it so fast. We didn't have a chance to get a permit. And so I was like, oh, Fran is not about to get arrested. I need to find some people to back us up just in case we get arrested. And so we I had lawyers reaching out saying, hey, if you guys need um, some support, just let me know. I think it's good that you guys are doing this. So the support just poured in and it really emboldened the attitude that this was the right thing to do because I was sitting at the table most of the night on Friday as we were emceeing half, running back and forth, listening to this bullcock and Mamie story of what happened, what didn't happen and what it was and all this other stuff. And I just got, Jesse said, I'm really worried about you because you progressively got quieter throughout the night. And that's- Her demeanor completely changed. Like I was yeah, like- I was I, hurting. Like I was really yeah. hurting. I was trying to figure out, you know, when I, I, when I got the the picture the first time I think it got sent to me in text message I was getting my makeup done and I totally ruined it I started crying and I was like I cannot believe this and it wasn't that I was shocked it was that I was disappointed because I gave my vote to this man and I that's also, what it was I also want to say like throughout that night you know first for me being white and not necessarily having the same feelings I, I feel outraged when I see blackface I don't necessarily feel hurt mm-hmm. because it's not something that is de- derogatory to me right but when I see people that I'm close with such as you progressively through the night it was getting more and more perturbing to me to see also Mm -hmm. how it impacts people of color and to see that much it's pain 
It is. Yeah, and I ran around talking to other volunteers about it at the party, and I had people tell me, I want to vomit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's how I felt. And and actually, over the course of the next week, I did a lot of that. there. So (laughs) I did a lot of that, Definitely. Originally, we were part of hashtag Team Fairfax, but through a couple hours after the protest, we had received information that there might be a sexual assault allegation that was going to come to light soon. Right. But the the survivor hadn't fully decided at that point Saturday afternoon. Right. Was she going to come out? Were they going to come out? And so then as Sunday developed, it became very apparent from the information we were receiving um, from media outlets that, and again, different sources, which is crazy to me. But from the media outlets that it was about, it was imminent. That night is when it, it broke. Sunday night is when it broke that there was at least one, there was one sexual assault allegation against Lieutenant Governor Fairfax. That was going into, I think, the next protest. The next day. So Saturday, that morning, we well, had so, the protest. Yep. And then Sunday, we're going through all this information. And then Monday, we get together with the unity protest at the governor's mansion. Yeah. Oh, but we totally skipped over Ralph's apology on and Saturday. Yeah, we're not doing that. Not even talking we about can't it. Even can't even handle it. it. We're not talking about that press conference where he tried to moonwalk. We're not even that. We need a whole show on that's just a whole. That. that is that is a tangent and a half. Whew. So we're pretending that didn't happen right now. Whew. So then we're on Monday, which that protest was really around um, really reunion hell. Yes. And the environmental racism of Ralph Northam, which the media has like the national media. It's been hard to get that message in there. Yeah, because people let's just take a pause for the cause real quick. People are saying, you know, this is something that happened 30 some years ago and this on the third. And it's like, but wait, 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 wait. We don't even have to go back that far to find the instances of racism with this man. And that's what's so disappointing to me, because this blackface is the red flag of racism that, you know, a majority of people can recognize. But we so easily overlook Union Hill and the decimation of a black community because Dominion has got money behind it. Or we so so easily overlooked him dressing up like James Barber, which we didn't. I mean, we were shouting that ish. But, you know, you have people that don't understand this is a governor and there's just certain things. If we're talking about being politically correct, you wouldn't dress up as a previous slave owner on Halloween. You could have picked anybody. You could have picked an Eminem. You could have been Barney. Right. You could have been SpongeBob. And it wasn't just him. His wife dressed up like a Southern period dress. Too. Yeah, in period dress. Well, and I, I don't want to. I also don't want to go back to this press conference. But in, um, mm-hmm. I believe it was his press conference, he talked about how he understood the pain and the horrors of the governor's mansion that he lived in, and the yeah. fact that he was having the press conference there. Explain to me why, if this was 30 years ago, yep. and you're talking about this today about how you understand this and you understand racial healing, then why did you not see how it was inappropriate three months ago to, to dress that. up? Thank you. As a former slave owner yeah. and pro secessionist, like, and that's what I'm saying. Like that. So that that's the kind of stuff that you know. This is a much bigger picture, right? The layers yeah. of the onion just yes. keep peeling off. This isn't off. just about a picture in a in a high school in a, oh excuse me in a, a medical school senior year yearbook. This is time after time we've seen him just sliding Justin on the campaign flyer, and you have people that worked on his campaign going I. I smelled something funny, but I wasn't sure. And us as voters, we're stuck in a spot where, as Democrats, we have to either choose who who we're going to give our vote to. And so we give our vote to this person, and then it comes to find out that you played a real good game of playing nice to us and scheming us, and we all feel hoodwinked. So that's why I want my black ass to be out there protesting against you to resign, because I gave you my vote, and it's my job to hold you accountable. Anyway, back to the timeline. Now we're at what would be February 4th, is that Monday. From there, and I'm going to mix up the dates that it actually happened, but in the midst of all of this, you also have the attorney general, Mark Herring, who um, brings out his own 
uh, photos of blackface, which, to be fair, should have been brought out right around the time when he told Northam to resign. Yeah, during his own, in his own statement. He had five days. Yeah. Mark Herring, our attorney general number three in command, comes out with having blackface photos. Then you have... Um, but it was just Curtis Blow, and he likes Curtis Blow, and so it so was more totally out of So it's totally okay if it's flattery, right? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm praying for my man, Mr. Herring, right now. Then after that, you have Senate Majority Leader Tommy Normant, who also apparently, he wasn't in blackface, but he was the editor of his college yearbook that had a substantial amount of racist photos, including blackface. Well, and now we're realizing that there's a possible <laughs> epidemic of Virginia <laughs> colleges. Oh. That, that was Donald McEachin, Congressman McEachin, <sighs> went on national um, news yeah. right afterward and was like, 1984, there was no blackface. That was not a common thing and then all of a sudden the yearbook started coming out apparently that was a common thing for white people to do what he meant was it wasn't common to black people that white people were still doing black people in private white colleges or predominantly white colleges doing these as fundraisers doing them as you know part of frat yeah part of fundraiser you know frat functions Mm -hmm. unbelievable the epidemic in virginia the virginia university system Mm -hmm. of blackface Mm -hmm. it was totally no thing and they didn't even see it as offensive they were just like we're not hurting anybody right no that's not true it's not that it's not offensive that that's a lie of ignorance that they are choosing to tell that's bull because if it if it if they knew that it wasn't something that they shouldn't be doing there would have been black people would have seen it before now we wouldn't have to be hunting for these uh images because they were made they were done in the in the the secrecy of these white places in these white spaces where they felt safe and comfortable doing these things and they were never to be seen or shared in the eyes of black people and so black people were never supposed to lay their eyes on these images and it was not something black people were supposed to see but what about like well so i i agree with you there but what about the like the you of our photo where we have a, so did a you black read, student participating. Did you read uh-huh. the, his statement on no, it? No, I haven't even seen it. Yeah, yeah, so that, so that, I mean, and that explains it. You know, I, I had an interview with Dr. Uh, Yutzi about this and he describes and he says, you know, during that time, especially in the 80s, when you're going to college with these white boys and, and, and white girls too, and you understand that they don't like you and you don't like them. But in order for you to be able to function in this space, you have to be able to get Get along per se. Oh, yeah, so I'm going to come to your party. Know, go yeah. along to get along. Yeah, I'm going to go to your party because you've got the good weed. You know, you've got kegs of beer. We got 40 ounces. I can come to your party and I can have fun and do these things. But at the same time, I know you really don't like me. We're just tolerating each other to be able to cope in this in this process. And so what you have, you know, that that's a whole nother show to talk about how this black guy ends up in a picture surrounded with a noose around his neck, smiling with a beer in his hand, surrounded by KK... Uh, by people in KKK robes. That's a whole nother uh, uh, conversation, but that is what happens when you have black people in positions fighting for perceived power and and even in these institutions of education and they want to be accepted they want to be respected and instead of fighting for you know what they you what you know is right you play along with this narrative because you have to tolerate the issue that you go through in order to be able to get through this process that you're going through and so the things that black people put up with not just in these institutions of higher learning but in corporate america in jobs every day on the 
street when I walk past you and you hold your purse or you have something to say about the way I talk to my child because you don't like it or you don't like the way I'm dressed or you don't like the way that I drive and you consider me to be aggressive. All these things, the, the, the shit that black people put up with every day because we're perceived to fall in line. And so what we saw in that picture was a black guy falling in line to what the, his peers around him were doing so that he could be accepted and be and be complacent in that place because that's what's cool. That's why you see black people pledging to these white Greek organizations in college because they want to be accepted. They want to fit in. They may not even, maybe they don't have access to a, a historically black Greek organization. Maybe they don't even know what that is. But when you have black people at PWIs, predominantly white institutions, you are taught first, very young, to assimilate, to do what you need to do to, to, to fit in. And some people take that to the damn extreme to where you would be playing around and geeking at a party drunk drinking beer with a noose around your neck well and i think that's where the phrase that i hear a lot skin folk ain't kin folk that's it comes in so now we're not even on like the first week of this so <sighs> oh getting my, back sorry to for that God, tangent, y'all. no no it was a good one that needs to happen I, like I, it was a good one it had to happen <laughs> sorry no so, don't apologize for that apologize. then on february 7th which is a thursday yeah. is when the um next event happened which was the funeral to the, the democratic Democrats. party um, and there was a number of organizations there. I know Justice RVA was there. Actually, I think a gentleman from BLM 757 was there. Leaders of the New South. You had Omari with that. You had Art Burton with Kinfolk. So that was also a very diverse group of people yep, there. Yep. So from that point, actually, then next event would have been on the 10th on the Sunday. The 10th on Sunday. And that was the one that we organized with Race Capital with Chelsea. It was called Leading Virginia Forward. Mm-hmm. And that one was really more a tone of, but what now? And how do we move forward just as a state in general? And to include healing. And to include healing and really yes. root that in healing because we really think history, starting there and understanding our history is the yeah. only path to that healing. And so that was at uh, Lumpkin's Jail and the African Burial Grounds, which was so powerful and moving. From that point, what what was the next event? Uh, Wednesday the 13th, which was the Ralph Must Resign rally. And so that was actually the Virginia Black Politicos. And they invited, um, they had really scheduled it and a couple other groups got into it. I think ourselves included, co-hosting or co-sponsoring and just kind of co-signing. Yeah. that um, and they had specific demands I think noteworthy is that that coalition involved elected officials they also came first time for the first time and they also well other than like the standard resignation calls but at an outside action event this mm-hmm. is the first time that they came in to a community-based event they had a list of demands it was really a call to not only should Ralph resign but also dear elected officials work on these things dear black elected officials yeah. we can't hear you Say it louder. And so that was partly a response to the fact that that was right around the time there was some press conference that was a couple of them, actually, because there was the Black Farmers guy and that met Black with Farmers Ralph. Association, Black yeah. Farmers Association. Black Farmers Association. Who yeah. wears a cowboy hat inside? Farmers. Then, it's, a whole, it's a whole culture, y'all. You don't know. He might be from Louisiana and dances to Zydeco. You don't know. Then we had, from that point, there was also Black leaders. There was a group of what was billed as Black leaders that yeah. came out and did a press conference that said Ralph shouldn't resign. There were people that were standing up and saying, I speak for Black people. And and he shouldn't resign. We don't think he should resign, yada, yada, yada. Virginia Black Politicos was really powerful because it was also a coalition of a number of people that stood behind those statements and then also inviting in other community yeah. groups that have been out here for Already. the past week or yeah. so fighting. That then brings us up almost current here. The next event is actually going to be on the 18th, which would have just happened, called the March of Reckoning. Justice RVA is involved with that and a couple of other organizations. I've seen a really diverse group of people that 
that yeah. has been um, different people are kind of it's like a it's like a, a good salad we're just kind of mixing up together and then you know some people step in some people step out we need breaks and that's important y'all to to speak that too all of these organizations are working really hard and we're putting in a lot of man hours and a lot of people power and a lot of energy and sometimes you need a break well yeah it's been it's been going on now you know a little over two weeks and it yeah. feels like it's been two months yeah so hey everybody involved in the movement please take some time for self-care yeah so that kind of brings us currently to today mm-hmm. and so where we're standing right now is that nobody's resigned everybody's refusing to resign <laughs> right there is a split between people that say ralph should resign or shouldn't resign mm-hmm. there is a lot of heartburn about justin fairfax resigning for mm-hmm. a number of different reasons right everybody though is still trying to push forward and march forward and figure out what to do. We also have the General Assembly that's currently in session and their session closes in the next week. Um, We don't know if there's going to be an investigation from them, if there's going to be an FBI investigation with Justin Fairfax or if there's like, we have no idea. I think the FBI already stepped Um, up and they said no, that ain't what uh, they do. So that kind of brings us here now where there's not a lot of clearness. There's, I think, a lot of worry and fear. There's not really direction from our elected leaders Mm -hmm. right now. And so in that absence, community members keep stepping up. And if you notice, Fran actually pointed this out earlier, as we're going through those dates, that's like one event almost every other day. Every, yeah, almost every every other day or every two days, we've got an event yeah. that's happening. And I mean, that's, I mean, just to talk about community organization, um, whether it's everybody at one time or a few people stepping up saying, we're going to do this today, who wants to join in? That's big. That's major. And for people to stand up, you know, this coalition of black leaders to stand up and say, black people want you to stay in. I don't know who, what black people you're talking to. And we'll get into that crazy ass poll that's going around too. Clearly, we have a large group of black people and white people that think this is some mess. And so, no, we, I don't know who you're talking to. I don't know who's, where you sent that poll to. I don't know which counties you, you sent that to. But I can guarantee you, I gave my vote to him and he needs to go. And there's a mi- there's a mixture of things. You know, I, I feel the fact that we're still having this conversation that he hasn't resigned yet adds ins- insult to injury. It's so really. disrespectful. It's so disrespectful. And it just ta- it speaks so just loud and proudly about how crazy your white privilege is and how stubborn and, and arrogant you are to think that one, you can fix this in a matter of weeks and just the audacity to think that you you're gonna be this damn stubborn it's black history month like damn give us something like just go like why are you doing this it's just so arrogant it's so stubborn it's so hard-headed and it's just white male just all over it so next we're really going to quickly before we get too too far in the discussion i want to pause and read really quickly the order of succession yes because i think that that's something that's really kind of confusing people a little bit about what happens i could use some clarity on that too i mean i've Mm -hmm. read two or three different threads on twitter about this and they're are a lot of similarities in the threads, but there are also differences too. And I think that most people don't have any clue yeah, how people this lost, works. People lost their whole ish when they were like, oh, one, two, three, they're out. Now what? Right, because I think everybody has this fear that there's going to be a Republican governor and that this was all intentional <laughs> to set up Kirk Cox, which honestly kind of felt like it originally. And the more, though, that you dig into it, that is the most unlikely scenario. First thing to note is that there's not a lot of information around what happens if the lieutenant governor comes out of office, um, except the fact that there is a line that the governor has the power to fill vacancies in all offices of the Commonwealth for the filling of which the Constitution and laws make no provision. That's actually the line because in the rest of the Constitution we have, doesn't Mm -hmm. really mention it. So the assumption is actually that the governor is going to appoint anybody that's in lieutenant governorship in in the event of a vacancy. But now let's talk about really quickly, I'm going to read specifically what happens if there is no governor. In the case of the removal of the governor from office or in the case of his 
disqualification, death, or resignation, the lieutenant governor shall become governor. If a vacancy exists in the office of lieutenant governor when the lieutenant governor is to succeed the office of governor or to serve as acting governor, the attorney general, if he is eligible to serve as governor, shall succeed to the office of governor for the unexpired term or serve as acting governor. If the attorney general is ineligible to serve as governor, the speaker of the House of Delegates, if he is eligible to serve as the governor, shall succeed to the office of governor for the unexpired term or serve as acting governor. If a vacancy exists in the office of speaker of the House of Delegates, or if the speaker of the House of Delegates is ineligible to serve as governor, the House of Delegates shall convene and fill the vacancy. So basically what that means is that if there is no governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general or speaker of the house, then the house of delegates will actually decide who is governor. Now, if you have the speaker in place, then that speaker would assent to governor. You have the attorney general in place, then the attorney general would move up to governor or the lieutenant governor. The reason I kind of go through it that way is to point out the only way the speaker of the house moves that far forward is if every of those three positions is vacant at the same time. At the same exact time. And the reason, though, that that's not a likely scenario is because as soon as the governor resigns, the mm -hmm. lieutenant governor steps up. And then their governor, and they would appoint the lieutenant governor. At any point, that's really what's really going to happen is if there's a coordinated, it's literally unless Staggered everybody- Staggered resignations. Right, and in my opinion, like I would think that if everybody even submitted them on the same day, it still would take time to process it out. It would still be staggered I, enough. I think it would still be, yeah, exactly. So that's kind of how it ends up going. That's really the flow of it is that you would have to then have all three of them out at once. And honestly, I think that even if it was the same day as where I was going with this actually is, I think that you would still have the, the succession because there's no way that everybody signs at the same time. Right. And I think that they would then figure out how that ended up working. You are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Now that we're there, we're halfway through, guys. Okay. <laughs> we have a couple more topics here to go through about what this really means today. There's been a number of people on Twitter that have put together threads and comments that Melissa was talking about, about like, what happens when? Right now, obviously, a lot of us are still calling for uh, resignations and still want him to resign and want staggered resignations. So this is actually a thread from RVA Politics, which is Rich Marr, about the current calls for impeachment. And he posted this on the 16th. So this would be yesterday from when we're talking. I still see a lot of calls for impeachment of Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax or even Governor Northam, including Jamil Smith last week in Rolling Stone. It's not going to happen, at least not anytime soon. Here's why. Hashtag thread. First of all, is what Justin Fairfax did even impeachable? Events happened long before he got into office, right? Well, Virginia Constitution defines offenses as 
as, quote, malfeasance in office, corruption, neglect of duty, or other high crimes or misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. What does this mean? Nothing and anything. The only true definition of an impeachable offense is that you were impeached for it. It's a political, not legal standard, and it's solely up to the legislative body with the power of impeachment. In Virginia, that's the General Assembly which, last time I checked, was controlled by the Republicans. They have little incentive to push a wounded Democrat, either Fairfax or Northam, out of office and could possibly investigate Fairfax without impeachment proceedings. By the way, how would an investigation proceed? No one really knows, as the General Assembly has no standing investigative committee. So even if Virginia Dems wanted to impeach Fairfax, and they don't right now, especially with Northam not going anywhere, they would need Republicans. Again, why would they get on board? The longer these guys are in office, the longer the Democratic brand is tarnished. So unless criminal charges hit Lieutenant Governor Fairfax, which is still a remote possibility, or a third accuser steps forward, he's staying. Unless Northam blows his apology tour, a much stronger possibility, he's staying too, at least for the near future. Weeks, months, who knows? Go away. Finally, I've seen some calls online for a recall of Governor of Virginia. While Virginia allows for recall of some officials, though by judges, not election, this law is clearly designed for local officials and is a non-starter for constitutional officers like the lieutenant governor and governor. That's a lot. But how do you guys feel about that? So obviously the impeachment thing is really a Fairfax thing, but also right. that would really apply still for forcibly removing Northam out of office and having our General Assembly remove him out of office. Sorry, the thing that I'm stuck on is that we as voters don't have a recourse for huh. having a recall vote for lieutenant governor and governor. Mm. Yeah. That really sticks in my craw pretty badly mm-hmm. um, because I feel like all voters should have that right. Like all states should have that right. That's I think it's sorry, I, that's where I'm I think right the now. reason that you're thinking that probably is because our government democracy is supposed to be about the people. Yeah. Right. It's by it the is. people for the people. And, and why think, is it that we have no power of recourse? And when when I see because I'm very Uh, I feel very strongly about that. Um, When I see the people getting trod upon when it comes to their voice and their say in who represents them, it really gets my goat. And I feel like it's a form of voter suppression. And y'all know if you listen to us, we're not real fond of that. No. Man, come. mm. I don't have anything more to say than that right now. I just, when I think about that, it really pisses me off. We cannot force this man to resign. Yeah, we don't necessarily have a vote in it. I mean... We don't have a say. He he is arrogant. He decides. He thinks that it's his job to lead Virginia in racial healing. And this is part of the problem with arrogance. the actual problem. <laughs> like, that's why we got here in the first place. Yeah. Do you guys think that even though it's not politically uh, likely that they'll mm-hmm. resign, should people continue to call for his resignation? 100%. I think so. And And here's why I say... His narrative has been, I can still do my job after all of this. I can still perform in a way that's pleasing to the Commonwealth. And I'm like, nah, you can't. And the more that we continue to show unrest, the more that we continue to protest and have our voices be front and center so he can see us and hear us from the governor's mansion, it disrupts his ability to be able to do his job the way that he should be doing it. And personally, I feel like I shouldn't have to wait for him to review two chapters of Roots um, to figure out how he's supposed to do his job in the first place in the middle of Black History Month while you're supposed to be running the Commonwealth when we got crazy stuff happening, jumping off right now in the state that you need to be addressing. But instead, you've canceled or, or postponed your Black History Month celebration at the at the governor's mansion. And on the day of on the on the day of and 
Now you're taking this apology tour. Like, I don't want your damn apology. You done messed that up twice. I don't need your apologies right now. I would love for you to read, you know, Roots and The Color Purple and anything else you want to read. Read it, but get pack your stuff up before you start and go well, on about your don't business. Don't do it on it. taxpayer dollars. Yeah. Like, that's taxpayer time. Like, I, this is my stance on it. The governor's mansion isn't the governor's mansion. It's the people's mansion. Mm -hmm. Correct. And we put the people there. We put people in the General Assembly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an absolute shame that 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 he hasn't resigned. But I think it's even more egregious the fact that, yeah, our legislature, they've made the calls for resignation, some of them. But at the same time, what are you doing? And so for me, I think the calls of resignation are also a, a, an ominous warning yeah. for other elected officials of like, you guys need to figure out how to do something mm -hmm. that makes this right and tries to advance this forward and stand up and be a leader because people are looking for leadership, mm -hmm. especially when we're sitting here only a couple months away from a whole, a whole election. election. Right. Like, you know, especially from the Huge Democrat election. side of things, you know, there's a lot of people that are mostly younger people that are definitely more inclined to vote on moral principle. And I think that that's a piece of this mm -hmm. is moral principle. And I think that, you know, to Melissa's point about how there's no recourse at a bare minimum. I want to see you guys figuring out and openly talking about like you are working on policies to mm -hmm. address this. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that's working for the people. And I think working for the people like the the um, black, the Virginia Black Legislative Caucus has recently made a show with a tax vote that they have a strong enough coalition and number to block a vote by changing their vote at the last minute to basically prove a point and have open discussions and only voting until the negotiations come. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a huge moment for empowerment of mm -hmm. different caucuses. But you work for the people. And I think calling for Ralph to resign, calling for all four of them to resign, especially in tandem with demand, mm -hmm. should be a pretty clear message. Right. We shouldn't let up. If you believe that these folks, especially Governor Northam, need to resign, then we need to keep saying it, even if it's for his entire two years, whatever. And it, for me, for me, it's just about the fact, Jesse, like you said, to reiterate what you just said, the fact that we have, you know, at the beginning, we had a lot of, you know, local politicians and national politicians saying you should resign. And then after this story got a little murky and it got a little complicated and people threw the cog in the wheel with Justin Fairfax, people just shut up and they weren't sure what to say because they're afraid to take a hard stance on things. This is when we need to see you introducing legislation. Like you said, in response to what we're looking at, just to throw this in there, Trump jumps up and says he wants his wall and he wants it. You know, he I didn't have to do this. And he declared the national emergency. And he declared a national emergency. I didn't have to do this, but I wanted it to be done faster. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is like, oh yeah? Challenge accepted. She introduces legislation the next day to say, you might have done it this time, but if this legislation gets passed, it'll never happen again. And that's action. That's like, movement. That forward that's momentum. bold yep. movement. That's leadership. That's leadership. That's bold movement. And so instead you know, of just complaining and pointing fingers and trying uh -huh. to use it as political negotiations. Yeah. She's like, here it is. This is what I'm going to do. So I think this is something that's interesting. This is an article from The Washington Post. So the title of it is Richmond's Donor Class and the VMI Brotherhood Stand Behind and Battled Virginia Governor. It's by Gregory Schneider. So there's two quotes I really want to quickly read and get you guys' reaction on. So the first one is, quote, because Virginia's constitution prohibits a governor from seeking a second consecutive term. Northam has no need to worry about what voters think. The second quote is, quote, even a politically wounded Northam is a far more comforting figure to Dominion and other business interests. So what this whole article basically says is that the reason Northam won't resign is because he doesn't have to care about voters and he doesn't have to because, in part, the corporations are supporting him. That just gets my gears. That grinds my gears. 
mm-hmm. because it's yeah. absolutely positively true. Mm-hmm. You're not worried about what voters think because you're not going to probably try to look for another office. You've made the highest office in the state you, and you've climbed that ladder. So, you know, what are you going to r- try to run for again? I don't know. But I mean, this public shame is going to follow you the rest of your life. But right. no, he's like, I don't really need to worry about voters because I'm not running for reelection. And the people who and, and this is exactly why we have Union Hill getting ready to be decimated, because you've got big corporations and big money standing behind you. And that's more important for the next office, mm-hmm. like Go. Exhibit A, Governor, <laughs> former Governor McAuliffe, yep. putting out this book about August 12th. Uh-uh. And... Mm-mm. Like that to me, though, is exactly it of like, you know, once you get past the governorship in Virginia, at least it's yeah. like, what's next? And money matters more than voters. It sure mm-hmm. does. I also um, maybe this goes with it, but I find it really interesting that he feels like if he resigns, that he'll just be branded a racist forever and he won't be That's able to move on. That's how you conduct yourself. And I'm like, all right, here's the deal. You can resign and then you can very publicly get up with some black nonprofits and learn. Tell people what you're learning. Or take Publi- your apology tour then. Right. Take your apology tour then. Publicly educate yourself. And then if you want some sort of political career later, try again. We as taxpayers don't need you to educate yourself on our dime. Because everybody else chose and to take black uh, African-American history, black history 101 when they were in college. You were too busy dressing up in blackface. That's not our fault. No. And when <laughs> you have when you have a large amount of your constituency declaring no confidence in you and then you saying, no, I'm going to stay in and I think I can lead the racial healing movement because in this as commonwealth. A doctor, I'm qualified. That is the height of arrogance mm-hmm. and white privilege. The absolute height. So no, I'm not gonna stop calling for his resignation. And if you believe that he should resign, you should not stop either. For every single day that's left in his term, he should be reminded that a large portion of his constituency has no confidence in him mm-hmm. well, and his think, ability to lead. I think really quick, the reason that I really like this article just to wrap it up before we go on to the next topic here, is to say, because of that, it's not just sending a message to him Mm -hmm. that we have a problem. We have to send this message to our elected officials that Mm -hmm. will be here after four years. That's it. Yep. Like, y'all need to get your man and hold him accountable and stand up and do something scary. Or we're going to vote your ass out, too. Or you're getting gone, too. Yep, and we are not going to take this anymore, and we're going to extremely vet any candidate that comes Mm -hmm. after you. And we're not going to accept any candidates that don't have integrity. I think that was that was a nail in the coffin for me was that second <laughs> press conference was like, now we have an integrity issue on right. top of you being racist, on top of you not being sure which which person in the picture is you and Ta- the, making light of things, laughing, joking. Yeah, now we got an now we got an integrity issue because you said it was you. Now it's not you. You had to consult with a person. I know if I do some, if you come and ask me, friend, did you shoot somebody? I'd be like, hell no. I wouldn't have to go and you know <laughs> ask a friend. Phone a friend. A, I didn't have to play. Friend. I didn't have to play. Who wants to be a millionaire? Thank you. Like, phone a friend. I didn't have to phone a friend. I didn't have to call my my family. I didn't have to have a family reunion. I didn't and, and have ask. to have an assistant drive me around in a car and no. tell me that blackface so, was wrong two so years with that, ago. With that, this Washington Post poll that just came out. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So the Washington Post poll, my question is, why is it then that this poll says that 58% of black people in Virginia don't think he should resign? Because the media knows exactly how to. Pe- what are polls? Like, let's, but no, no, who are the 58%? No, but let's talk about this. Where did let's they come talk from? about this, y'all. Okay, so I have extensive van experience, uh, Voter Action Network. 
experience. And with that, you can go into the van and you can look up a person by how they vote, where they live, their race, their uh, or ethnicity, their their party. All these they have all these parameters that you can search by, right? And so if I want to create a poll that looks good for my candidate, they teach you that you the van is a system that you can use because it records all of your voting history and everything and it makes a profile per se of like who you are as a person. And it's it's wrong sometimes cuz I'm a white woman in the van. Oh my. <laughs> Which is funny to me. But it it, it poll it, it make it makes like a profile of your voting history. And so if I want to make a poll to say that my candidate is a desirable person besides the fact that he was caught with a making a racist statement and this actually happened with the guy that was it, he was running for senate white guy down in i think in texas and he said something totally racist and they came out with this poll and they were like who the hell did they ask and it's I, immediately i was like they use the van because I can I can literally handpick who I call and I have their phone number, I have their address, I have their names, I have every you know every primary election they voted in, every general election they voted in, how they vote, how they tend to vote, all these things when they registered, how long they've been voting, and so I can use that information to mold the group of people that get included in in the call that I make with these particular directed poll questions. So when you talk about somebody coming up with a poll, we, who first of all, who did this poll? It was uh, SSRS of Glen Mills, PA. Yeah, who the hell is that? And there were 706 adults, uh-huh. 62% were reached on cell phones, 38% on landlines, uh-huh. and there is a overall margin of sampling error plus or minus 4.5%. Yeah, okay, so that type of data right there is automatically generated and you can tell from the van. So I th- let me tell y'all, okay, this is personal experience they use the van system to target black people that tend to vote a certain way and they called them and they asked them targeted questions and these black people said yeah it's all right yeah so like you can literally use polling and this happens all the time with elections Mm -hmm. i would actually even say that an election that goes local that really people might remember the polling on is the 2016 mayoral election yep so honestly i believe that joe morrissey would have had a lot more success if that first poll didn't come out and portray him as the guaranteed winner because yep. that freaked everybody out. Mm-hmm. Everybody ignored the fact that actually the number two um, contestant or whatever in the mayoral campaign was undecided. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that really yeah. pushed the undecided people to a point of fear because that became a huge topic of conversation. He's mm-hmm. going to win. He's going to win. He's going to win. How and, do we stop it? How do we stop it? And that's how polling completely skews things. Mm-hmm. And your questions like what time like all these things like you can definitely make a poll say what you want to say yeah so i don't want to hear that mess about who they asked and this but this is another thing that is important to point out you can you're going to always have when you learn in psychology about bell graphs right or u graphs you always have these outliers okay these these people that fall well outside the curve and they fall way outside on their either real real far left or real real far right there's a reason why they're included in the graph because they affect the opinion too, but their opinion may not be the popular opinion. Huh. Ding, ding, ding. You're going to always find, they. I'm telling you, white people can always find a token black person. Oh, yeah. To give this wild ass statement. I mean, again, though, honestly, though, like, let's flash back to that yearbook Ugh. photo that we were just talking about and yeah. insert that entire conversation Bingo. here. Bingo. And that's it. Part of this, obviously, is part is what do we do now and what forward looks like. And there's a lot of calls out there. I know all three of us are on the same page about this, that mm-hmm. all four, all four people need to resign mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a staggered way. Yep. Needs to be Northam first, followed by Fairfax. And then the other two don't really care when all resign. After, after he's appointed 
an appropriate mm-hmm. person, and preferably when we say a black woman. And we say appropriate, we mean a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so this has raised a, a contentious debate on Twitter. <laughs> what? You don't say. About Everything identity. is a contentious <laughs> About Twitter. identity politics. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. this idea that, like, oh, it should be anybody that's qualified. No. My personal opinion, really quick to say this, is that when I say identity politics, that doesn't necessarily mean putting unqualified people into office. There are plenty of people who are qualified that are women of color, that are men of color. Yep. And they just don't go through the political machine that's put in place for white people. Go ahead. Right. And so, you know, I think that starting with that as a filter, I kind of think of it as is like, okay, let's filter and look at people of color that are extremely qualified and start there. But I want to ask and just put out there, like, why are our identity politics important? And how do you guys feel about identity politics and the role they should play? Because it's representation. It is the most personal aspect of the voting process. And it is important because it really does get to the heart, the fundamentals of political belief systems. And not only that, I mean, people understand the power in it. That's why we annexed Chesterfield. Right. (laughs) Well, also, we want to see ourselves reflected in our elected officials. Mm -hmm. Why is it important to see ourselves reflected? Go for it. Here's why I think identity politics is, is a twofold thing that works. So for one... Part of the reason that we're in a lot of the issues and the problems that we're in as a country and as a state is the fact that the lesser of us have not been represented. And so the fact that the lesser of us don't get represented, the interest of a smaller group of us that are more far more affluent and have different types of connections end up making the decisions and driving the policy, you end up having the lesser of us falling victim to whatever the greater of us may want. And so identity politics is important when we're talking about black women, when we're talking about black men, when we're talking about people of color, because our voices are undeniably disenfranchised the most. And so when it comes to a point where, and I think that's, I'm going to just go ahead and say it and be honest with it. That's why black people are having such a begrudging time asking, and and telling Justin Fairfax to resign because he was a token of identity politics for black people for at least the last year and a half, but standing up, protesting. Sitting down, protesting. Sitting down, sitting down, sitting down, protesting. He has the most progressive agenda of anyone and, and he's been outward with in the it. upper and I echelon think identity of politics, politics and that's why identity politics are so important because they give us something they give us a not only a visual to identify with as minorities and as people of color but when we talk about we need a black woman there's a logistics there's logistics behind that that prove why this is a change that we one haven't seen but two that it's going to provide a different response and a different narrative because we've one that's something that doesn't happen in And it doesn't happen for a particular reason, which is bad, and it should happen because it would improve what we're going through. But women lead differently. And black people, if you're talking about somebody who isn't a puppet and who isn't a token Negro. Thank you for the disclaimers, by the way. I'm just saying, if we're talking about somebody that's not a puppet, that's not, not, you know, a token Negro, we're going to have somebody in office who we hope, fingers crossed, is going to be strong enough to stand up for the things that we we shouldn't be protesting for that should be a part of the narrative and policies that we're going through. So it's important not only that we see ourselves reflected in our in our in our politicians, but also that our ideologies are reflected in those policies that those black people put in office cuz sometimes it's just not good enough to have a black man or a black woman in office because they may be pushing policies that don't identify with the uplifting and the pres- preservation of the black community or people of uh, communities of color. So there's a difference. So I I, I want authentic identity policy 
politics. That's what I want. It, it has to be authentic. If it's not authentic, it's just another token puppet standing in the place that, you know, is not going to get us where we need to go. So for me, that's why I think it's important. It, it, it's got it's got many moving pieces. I can't top or add to that. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's it right there. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So I think the only thing I would add is taking a little bit of a step further. It's So it's the representation and seeing it. But I think it's also what your experience is as whatever that identity is makes you be able to see and read policies and contribute to a discussion yeah. in a very different way. Yeah. Because, you know, there's many times where I've heard this conversation where it's like, well, you know, this is what's happening and this is what the system says and this is what policy says. But this is what's really happening on the streets. Right. But then someone says, well, this is how it's implemented. And mm-hmm. that's where you have to have this diversity where you're able mm-hmm. to bring these things together because I think that, you know, when you have, right now we live, even just by fact, of virtue of the fact that we live in a very segregated society, mm-hmm. naturally segregated, like you can go around the city and yeah. see where white people live and black people live. Yep. You can go outside in the counties and see it happening. And when you're living in these accidental isolated bubbles i don't think you get the wide broad range of experiences to understand how things impact people and so when you are like most of my friends when i'm especially when i was growing up are like white people Mm -hmm. white women especially white men occasionally but i'm not necessarily like i'm flashing back to the time that somebody said they said something about an ebt card and i was staring at them like why are you spelling out debit? Because I'd never heard it actually called an EBT card. Like mm-hmm. it, it was always called food stamps, which if you think about being in a middle-class white person, like, mm-hmm. you know, of course we're calling it food stamps. Like that's kind of- But it's SNAP though, but go ahead. Right, exactly, right. And that's where EBT it's like- is also your child support too, but go ahead. Well, and so like that's where it's, you know, a little bit of a experiential differences of mm-hmm. things. Like somebody had to explain to me not that long ago that I walked into Kroger here in Lombardi Kroger, mm-hmm. and I could not for the life of me figure out why people were cashing checks from RRHA there Mm -hmm. at that bank there no i had no idea that you can actually pay bills through the kroger pay bills at kroger and that's just my lack of experience as an unbanked per as uh, i don't have experience as an unbanked i actually friends that learned about that moving into the city that there's a lot of distrust of banks in um the black community here and all over the country and so they don't have accounts and so they rely on services like walmart and kroger and whatever to cash their paychecks and pay their bills. And I think for like as trivial as those things are, like think about the bigger things. It's just a matter of looking and understanding and crafting policies from a different lens. And our experiences shape who we are. And being a white female is part of my experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Being an educated white female is part of my experience. Mm -hmm. Being a a middle class white female is part of my experience. Mm -hmm. So I think that like identity politics, it's not even just race. Mm -hmm. Like it also needs to be to have that authentic identity politics mm-hmm. have a, a wide variety of socioeconomic class mm-hmm. when you have somebody like um aoc that comes forward as a freshman legislator to me her submission of the bill like the day afterward yeah is you have somebody who has been fighting all their life with nothing to lose and, and you it shows. fight and it shows you fight for what you eat what you kill effectively yeah and if you don't ask for it it ain't coming that's it and that's the kind of experience that I think it changes things up. It's why does representation matter? Because you you have to know that somebody's reading this with a lens that is similar to your own. And right now, and for so long, it has not been that way. That's it. Justin Fairfax is only the second statewide black elected official. Right. And huh. only the third one to ever run. Also, we're dealing with campaign funding that is so outrageous mm. that people in the quote middle class or you know lower income levels they can't even run and so that it, leads into identity to, politics too to because those people have... don't reflect who i am because 
ushers this don't have to run for a couple office, million to run to run for office and to actually have your candidacy as a Democrat for president sixty five thousand dollars. Yeah, see, that's ridiculous to me. That's the cost that's of, not even of a car, a luxury car, a very small house in certain areas. I mean, I mean, even if we look at, I believe it was um, locally, mm-hmm. Mayor Stoney raised over a million dollars. Like Jack Barry took a million dollar loan from Jim Ucroft or whatever it was. I don't know if it was a right. million dollars or whatever. But like that's the point is like it. And how does that reflect you your constituency? Ballot, right. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't identify with that. No, not so at all. So I don't expect you to be able to right you know, policy, pull that policy that's going to help me or help the lesser of us because you don't know what it's like to not have heat. When your you president don't... doesn't have a driver's license. Yeah. Like, you, like, what experience do you have in reality with, like, grocery stores? Like, there you just you think people can, like, negotiate your bills at a grocery store. Yeah. Well, That's this is crazy. why things like protecting tenants, you know, new laws protecting tenants from predatory landlords fail mm-hmm. because people that are elected to represent mm-hmm. everyone don't understand everyone. What it's like to rent. Or mm-hmm. don't care. Mm-hmm. Another local plug is when you have um, Councilwoman Reva Trammell, who's talking about how homeowners and property owners mm-hmm. are the people that have more of a voice. Like this is, again, going back to that of this whole schism of the property ownership, the lens. Not understanding why color is brought into a conversation about policing. I mean, I can I can even tell you again, like I can speak from my personal experience of things. And I, I didn't realize, honestly, that families lived in apartments until I was graduated college. And that's just, again, like the only families that I really knew that lived in apartments growing up were people that were in transition of they're building a new house, they're moving. It was always a temporary thing. The white boomer American dream is, you know, you get married and you buy a house and you have a bunch of kids and woo, you're set for life. But that's not reality. No, and like none of these things, all of these things that I kind of mentioned in my own experience of ignorances that I've learned my way out of, Mm -hmm. none of that says that I'm a bad person. No. Right. But maybe I'm not the most effective policymaker to represent people. Maybe I'm not. I think that's, that's the thing. And and again, that's that's the lens that's not being taught in our political machines that are putting out these people that are setting these people up to run for office. You know, you have all these things. I I, I just want to sit through like just one of these <laughs> one of these programs. But you have all of this stuff that's being taught to these candidates about how to network and how to just you know, just go through this process, but nobody's talking about connecting with the constituency. No. So not a part of the conversation. On that note, there is one thing I want to leave us on mm-hmm. as we finish this, is the fact that we forgot to mention that Governor Ralph Northam's nickname in college was, was Coon, Coon Man. Man. I am shooketh. So, Tell me how you got that, Ralph. Oh, that's right. Well, I mean, just, you know how if you've tried it before, shoe polish doesn't come off your face. Well, he doesn't even know. It's just a little bit. It's in his yearbook, but he hat. doesn't even know. So thank you guys for tuning in this week to the dumpster fire of state (laughs) politics um, that we try to navigate and found ourselves in. Really appreciate it. And both of you guys' opinions and talking through it. Thanks. And also, I want to give a shout out to all of our listeners and supporters who have been nothing but, I mean, just intensely supportive these past two weeks that feel like two months, two years. This news cycle has been really intense. But people have been really great. And just want to say thank you for that. And to all the haters, keep on hating. It just gives us fuel. Basically, as always, Flint still has dirty water. RPS is still not fully funded. Almost. We're getting there. And Richmond is most certainly still racist. But we're protesting on it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond. Like.
Why you wanna catch my eye when you already know that I'm taking? Nah, like Billy. How you pass through on payments and I'm seeing you on vacation? Nah, like Billy. How you gonna make us great when we were never really that amazing? Nah, like Billy. Take it back to what? I don't find hanging black lives entertaining. Nah, like Billy. How do you police the streets of a neighborhood you do not engage in? Nah, like Billy. Why brother get three for a sack when your brother go free for a raping? Nah, like Billy. How you make a film about Egypt with all leading roles Caucasian? Nah, like Billy. How you saying all lives matter when it's that saying we are not adjacent? Nah, like Billy. Tell me if I got it all wrong, like a sign on the line, but I didn't read the form and the fine print is all about the times we mourn and the color of my skin mean I gotta be strong. And you hand me down faith, say that I was reborn when I take my last breath and you let me breathe on it. As of right now, we can never be pals. So how are we supposed to get along?